I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on this week's episode. We will discuss Mike Mazuka transferring out of the program only to announce that he is back in the program. I guess not even fully announced. Well, uh, report by Zach Albaverde today stating that Mazuka is not, in fact, transferring, which is good news. Uh, Keon Zipper out for the season with an injury, disappointing knee injury. Uh, for the tight end, uh, was looking to come back and have a nice season this year. The nation's top wide receivers on campus this week, Jeremiah Smith with DJ Lagway. A uh, little bit of hope there. Well, a little bit of hope there with Jeremiah Smith, the Ohio State commit. We're going to look at the SEC East to wrap up and identify a sleeper. Obviously, it's not Georgia. And We'll, we'll do a team other than Florida just to throw out some differences there. So we're each going to pick one sleeper in the SEC East. Will, this is a weird situation here. We actually recorded the full episode last night. I had processed the entire episode. We were I was reviewing the episode when we received the news that Mizuka is, in fact, not leaving the program. That changed the, the, the entire nature of uh, two bits and four bits last night. And then the zipper news popped up, too. So... We decided to get on, re-record two bits and four bits, and we are going to splice it with the six bits and a dollar. So when you see the outfit change, folks, we do want to try to look good for the audience, but that will explain that. Well, I'm wearing the same clothes because I, I, I'm a forward thinker, and and you 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 couldn't do your laundry last night or something to get ready for this morning. So, <laughs> hey, it's all good news, right? I mean, I I think we're all still a little bit concerned, head spinning a little bit in terms of what's going on, right? I mean, you've yeah. got Mizuka come out. He put he puts on Twitter like he did it, right? It wasn't like it was a report. It wasn't somebody who was saying I'm hearing rumors. It wasn't anything like that. It's he puts on Twitter. I'm entering the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. I, again. Not clear on details as to why that tweet went out. Not clear on details as to why it was uh, why it was rescinded. But uh, you know, look, he's a starter. He was a guy who was getting starters reps. He's a guy that Rob Sale said in his press conference a week or two ago was one of the five that he listed in terms of the starters. And if you look at the guys that they have that they trust, Mizuka was one of those guys who they were going to trust. So losing him would be a big deal. Now, look, I know he's been dinged up a little bit in spring, probably a little bit frustrated. Um, certainly, you know, there are expectations when you come to any sort of program that are different than the program you were at before. So maybe he was just unhappy sort of tweeting out something. Maybe he had it locked and loaded and didn't mean to hit send. And then when he hit send, he was like, oh, um, or, you know, I mean, the other thing is, is that there are ramifications to, to transferring a second time. You don't just get a free transfer in the NCAA right. the second time you do it. And so all of a sudden that was one of my main thoughts. I'm not sure I expressed it in our, in our first episode, but that was one of my main thoughts was, are you hurting your career by having to go sit out for a year to transfer? There are going to be people who talk about decision-making processes and things like that at the NFL level. And then, I mean, geez, you're looking at Osiris Torrance going in the first round as a first round NFL draft pick. If you, even if you don't like it, if you succeed next year at guard for Florida, you're going to have similar treatment, maybe not a first round draft pick, but you'll have the opportunity to go to the NFL right after next year. And so you're delaying your NFL future by two years. If you decide to transfer out, as opposed to maybe just delaying it a year if you if you stick it out and, and stay in. So, look, good news for Florida. Obviously, there's a lot of turnover on the offensive line. Continuity is a concern anyway, but Mizzou had a lot of starts. I think he started 12 games last year. 
one of the best guards in the country or one of the best guards in the Big 12. I don't know that you'd put him in the best guards in the country. But, uh, you know, obviously Billy Napier and his staff know how to evaluate guards given Osiris Torrance. And so it's good to have Mizuka back in the fold and hopefully everything sort of gets smoothed over. And uh, he's a big part of Florida's success next year. This is huge news for the Gators. This is great news, huge news. This was the gem of the transfer portal class. That's what I called him on our first go around. And I absolutely stick by that because he had a great season over at Baylor and you lose Osiris Torrance. You get this type of talent to slot in at guard right away. I mean, especially when we are just the, the classes, if you look at the classes, we, we are just stacked on the younger side. We don't have a ton of upperclassmen. So for a guy like this to come over from a successful program like Baylor and to be able to slot in and start from day one, that was a huge addition in the portal. So the fact that we are keeping him is fantastic news. Couldn't be happier about it, Will. I think this is a a, a big win for Napier and the Gators. Now, if, when you talk about the tweet, clearly some personality things going on there, right? College kid. Uh what would you have done with Twitter in college at times, right? Like we've seen a, a, people a lot older than college say a lot of stupid things on Twitter could have been heated in the moment, could have been frustrated with something and went to Twitter, said something stupid, obviously seems like it, it, it wasn't something he meant. So guys back in the fold. And uh, I, I think I, Tweeted, I texted this. I tweeted this today. I texted this to you right away too. It was uh, it's kind of uh, George Costanza showing up the the Monday after he quit. I think that's uh, I think that's about the same same vibe there, right? Yeah. For those of us who aren't as old as uh, for those of you who aren't as old as us, <laughs> George quits. Come back. Comes back the next day. Just pretends like he didn't quit. And and they're like, "Didn't you quit?" He's like, "No, no. You thought I quit? Like, no, not at all." So. Yeah, I mean, look, this will all be forgotten if Mizuka comes out and plays well. It'll all be something that everybody brings up in the first sentence if Mizuka doesn't play well. So he's maybe put a little bit more pressure on himself to perform now that he's back. I think, you know, it's interesting. Egwakun is a guy that you feel comfortable with at center. Barber is a guy who showed pretty well at right tackle last year, but the question is, are they going to have to move him over to left tackle? Richie Leonard's gotten some snaps at guard. William Harad has gotten some snaps at tackle, though not necessarily all that many. Other than that, there, I mean, you've got George, Damian George coming over from Alabama, but he was a backup. So, you know, who do you trust in that list? It ain't going nine deep, right? And and that's the thing is with Cam Waits getting hurt, having the Achilles injury um, towards the end of the year, and then, or right, I guess right as workout started, you, there just isn't, there aren't a lot of guys in that junior bucket or even the sophomore bucket that you trust to be big time SEC players. Mm-hmm. Now, look, maybe, maybe Keontae Goodwin ends up fitting that mold but he's not necessarily ready yet. So George and Barber were going to man the tackle spots. Then you had Mazuka, Leonard, and Egwakun, probably the guys who were going to be guard, the guards in the center. And then if a guy like Roderick Kearney happened to show out in camp, yeah, you can slide him in there, but you're not relying on him for the entire SEC season from day one on the road at Utah on the first game. And then, uh, you know, you got Tennessee coming in there, what, the third game of the year. So it's uh, – you know, it it, it it elevates really quickly there at the SEC for Florida this year. And without any continuity on the offensive line, I think experience is going to be key. And so Mazuka being in there, having all those starts is going to make a major difference, I think, for Florida on the interior of the offensive line. Well, one of the big points we discussed when we thought Mazuka was out was there was almost a necessity to throw some of these young guys in too. talk about Jalen Farmer as well, where you would be almost reliant on these guys from day one, pretty much. 
I do think that uh, you're still – I would still like to see these guys get those reps, but with Mazuka, you can kind of bring them along in a more reasonable fashion and not be just totally relying on them from day one. So this is a massive piece of news for the offseason and uh, certainly uh, something that is going in a good direction for the Gators. Look, I mean, they still need to get those young guys playing time because mm-hmm. if Mazuka goes down with an injury in the first game or the second game, those young guys are still going to need to be ready. I think the – the tweet and the potential transfer made us all realize how thin and precarious the Gators offensive line situation is right. And so having Mazuka back in the fold is great, but it still pointed out when we thought he was gone, how thin that position is and how young that position is and how far Florida needs to come to bring guys like farmer and Williams and Kearney and love it along so that they have guys to back people up in case there's an injury or two. Now, one of the things we also said was look, If you don't think you're going to be that great in 2023, bring in these guys, get them the experience that they need so that you've got guys for at least another couple of years, um, you know, for, for 2024 and 2025 before they're, they're eligible to go to the pros. And I still think that holds, they, they're still going to need to get these guys plenty of reps, but Mazuka gives you a little bit more margin for error. And that's really Mm -hmm. what you're looking for is you need a guy that Florida needs depth regardless, even if Mazuka lost, lost his job to one of those guys. Like, let's say that the transfer tweet was because he was frustrated because they told him he was going to come off the bench. Well, even still, you never know whether that freshman's going to play well and you never know whether that freshman's going to stay healthy. And so you're still going to, you would still in that case be glad you had Mazuka as a backup. So I think there's a lot of reasons why this needs to work now. Um, I, I would say that I probably wouldn't expect him to be here more than a year though. And so you, you, you probably plan with that in mind and Hey, if it turns into more than a one year stop for Mazuka, then great. But that probably means he wasn't an elite player this year. And so, you know, you just need to you need to keep that in mind. And I think we'd much rather have him be elite for one year than sort of average for two. So hopefully he plays really well, goes to the pros after this year, and those young guys get seasoning and ready to go. Michael Mazuka back with the Gators after a brief uh brief hiatus in the transfer portal. Probably didn't even make it into the portal, uh, Will. Just verbal por- portal, right? Not uh the actual portal. Uh let's move on to four bits here. Keon Zipperer, horrible news. Going to miss the 2023 season, uh, you know, not not just for the position of tight end where we absolutely need the guy, but just for the for the guy himself, man. You feel terrible for him because you look at him. That play against Tennessee was one of the highlights of the 2022 season, where he just mauled that defensive back on the way to the end zone. This is not a guy who's put up a lot of statistics, but certainly has the frame, has the potential, and it would have been great to see him out there on the field this year. Feel like uh, Mertz, if Mertz is in fact the guy at the quarterback position, will be a little more reliant on tight ends this year than than Richardson was last year. So. Just another shot to a position that probably doesn't need it. I know we were discussing before we came on here too, you know, Odom went down with an injury in the bowl game as well. So really uh, a thin position gets a little thinner for the Gators. Yeah, I mean, look, it's not as though Zipper is a guy who caught 40 balls last year. I think that's the first thing is that he he's caught 38 in his entire career, three in one game as a freshman, then 11 as a sophomore, 11 as a junior, and 13 as a senior. Um, obviously that first year is a redshirt freshman year. And then he's got caught the COVID year as well. So he's probably mm-hmm. got, I think two years of eligibility left if he wants to come back. The thing is you've got one game, seven games, five games and eight games in his career. He's struggled to stay on the field. And this is just a continuation of that. And you feel bad for the guy, right? Because 
if he can stay out on the field, I think there's no doubt he's the most physically gifted guy that Florida has mm-hmm. at the tight end position. Now, you couldn't say that when he was playing behind Kyle Pitts, but you can say that now. Like the fact that Dante Zanders is out there, Zanders is a great story, but Zipper is a, is a more gifted athlete. The hope is that Jonathan Odom can come back from that injury. It looked like a pretty severe knee injury. They've just said knee injury. They haven't said exactly what it is. Um, but you know, typically somebody goes down like that non-contact, you sort of think ACL, which means you're probably looking at half the year before he can come back. And what that means is you've got Dante Sanders, and then you've got guys who haven't played. You got Arliss Boardingham, Hayden Hansen, Tony Livingston, and Andre Savigny are sort of the four at that tight end position who who have come in either in the freshman or redshirt freshman bin. That's it. So, you know, as much as Billy Napier wants to play 12 personnel, as much as he wants, or, you know, as much as he wants the two tight ends out there, I think we're going to see a lot of 11. <laughs> we're going to see a lot of one tight end, three wide receivers. And a lot of that will be dictated by some of the wide receivers. You know, Andy Jean, Eugene Wilson, Aiden Mizell may dictate going to more 11 personnel. But some of that is just going to be, you don't have the numbers at the tight end position or the experience at the tight end position to really do a whole lot. So, like you said, Graham Mertz, the expectation I think is that he's going to be, you know, Anthony Richardson was not very good in the quick game last year. Uh, Graham Mertz, even at Wisconsin for some of the criticisms that I've had about him was much better in the quick game than Anthony Richardson was. That usually means that you're going to tight ends quite a bit. That's still a big part of this offense, but who's going to do it? Who's going to step up? We've heard a lot of good things about Arliss Boardingham. Um, that, you know, Savigny and Livingston are athletes. Hanson's a big dude, but, you know, again, we haven't seen any of that at at a college football level, let alone an SEC level. And just throwing tight ends onto the field um, in, in SEC play becomes difficult. So I think we'll see a lot from Dante Sanders. I think we're going to see a lot of of 11 personnel. <laughs> I think maybe you can even think about them using personnel where they got two running backs in the backfield and sort of using somebody as an H back, maybe using Johnson or ETN or Carroll, the transfer in from, uh, from Tol- Tulane, right? Um, maybe they'll have him in as like an H back type of thing where he's kind of playing like a tight end, but also has the ability to sort of you know go into motion as a running back. Um, I think you'll probably see some of that. I don't think that we're going to see a lot of two tight end stuff, at least not early in the year. There just isn't enough experience. You're going to have to kind of work these guys in unless one of them in spring and fall camp decides, you know, makes a huge step forward and Napier's comfortable with them. But, uh, you know, and, and we're going to see them because one, Napier isn't really hesitant to put in a freshman. And two, you can't have Dante Zanders play 70 snaps. So um, where's Billy Latsko when you need him, Will? We could use a Billy Latsko on this roster this year. Well, it is right? interesting. You know, they, they they moved Jamarcus West into safety. Yeah. I'm like, can we just feed that dude a bunch of steak and stick him in, <laughs> stick him in a tight end? Like, have him gain 20 pounds and throw him in there on the end of the line. Um, they're going to have to patchwork that. I mean, look, I think yeah. Boardingham or Livingston or or even Hanson, Savinia was a defensive player as a recruit and has moved to tight end. But you look at Boardingham, I think, if you asked me what has to happen for Florida to have a really, really successful year this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I'd have to say Boardingham ends up being a 25 to 30 catch tight end. And that's, that's a rough thing to ask for a guy who's a red shirt freshman who didn't play last year. Uh, but I think that's what you're looking also at. Also considering that our leading tight end had 13 catches last year. Well, right. again, I think that has to do with the quarterback in some capacity, but you know, they're not going to be able to just rely on Pearsall 
the way they did last year mm-hmm. exclusively because Anthony Richardson was able to get out of situations where he was under pressure and allow Pearsall to beat the coverage and give him more time to do that. I think you're going to struggle with that with Graham Mertz. He just doesn't have the same kind of mobility. That's not a knock on Mertz. It's a it's an acknowledgement that Anthony Richardson might be the number one pick in the draft, even though he drove us crazy with how inconsistent he was. And so tight ends are going to be more important. So you're going to need 25 or 30 catches from Boardingham, or they're going to have to yeah. piece together 30 catches from Boardingham and some other guys in order for this offense to be successful. So we're well, going to see. You talk about neighbors identification of talent, Hanson, uh, Livingston and Savin, switching over. And you got Sanders has been switched over to tight end by Napier as well. It will be interesting to see. Certainly there will be a spotlight on that room heading into 2023. There was anyway, even before the zipper injury, we need more production out of that position. Great opportunity for some young guys to step up here heading into the 2023 season. Let's move on to six bits. Talk about Jeremiah Smith. And there are some other plans in the works, Will, so maybe we'll get some good news uh, at some point here. But the number one player in the state of Florida, wide receiver Jeremiah Smith, six foot three, 198 pounds, out of Chaminade Madonna Prep in Opalaka, Florida, is visiting the Florida Gators this weekend. I believe DJ Lagway is also on campus to make an impression here, uh, which is a good plan. Andrew Ivins from 24-7 Sports compared Julio Jones uh, compared uh, compared uh, Smith here to Julio Jones. And he's also the number two player in the nation, by the way. I forgot to mention that in the front end there. But Ivan said he's one of the most talented wide receiver prospects to come out of South Florida in the modern recruiting era. That's saying something. This is an area where uh, I believe all those a lot of the Bama guys are from down there, right? Ridley, uh, um Help me out, Will. Browns receiver. Mari Cooper is from down there, too. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't I know believe. who's from. All I know is all those guys seem to come from Florida. Yeah. I, so a lot, a lot of talent coming from the South Florida area. I'll put it, put it that way in recent eras. So to call the one of the most talented prospects to come out of there in the modern recruiting area, that's very impressive. Uh, the type of wideout that can beat a defense over the top one play and then box defenders out in the corner of the end zone the next, has a knack for making high-level grabs look extremely routine, like plucking the football out of the air with one hand while in traffic. Called him extremely competitive at the catch point as he will simply overpower defensive backs in order to secure the prize, six foot three, 198 pounds. Pretty, pretty easy to do that at that size, Will. Highlight reel is full of deep shots and for a good reason but has also shown that he can create chunk plays via quick screens and short drag routes should be viewed as one of the top offensive playmakers in the 2024 cycle and a potential wide receiver one for the college football playoff for a college football playoff regular. And speaking of that college football playoff regular, will he's currently committed to the Ohio state Buckeyes. So we should mention that coming in. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Um, I don't acknowledge them because they're in a conference. It doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, look. <laughs> Brian Hartline, though, is just reeling in five-star receivers. So that's going to be – this is going to be a tough flip is the point. And if you can flip this, that that's going to be a huge, huge win for Napier if he's able to flip this guy. Yeah, I mean, look, I think this is the key to Napier getting to where he needs to get for the overall recruiting class 
uh, you know, next year. We, we've talked about obviously Lagway extensively, but Miles Graham and and some of the other guys he's brought in are very very good players. Jeremiah Smith's a difference maker. Like this is you know when you start when you start comparing stuff when you start comparing guys to Julio Jones, you're essentially doing the same thing as if you compared guys to Percy Harvin. Um, but in this case, that's actually probably fair. Um, he's bigger than, than Harvin, which is which is uh, interesting. But the second ranked overall player in the country, the l- lowest he's been ranked over the past year is 15th. So this isn't some guy who started out at like 300, then has just had some meteoric rise to second. This is a guy who's been there now for about a year, year and a half in terms of the overall rankings. It's really clear. And this is one of the things about these can't miss guys, especially at the skill positions. They're just different. You see them when they're out there. And funny thing is we sort of saw that with Jakeem Jackson when you went out and saw him, the Florida commit who's playing defensive back. Um, when you went out and saw him in high school, took a bunch of took a bunch of videos, sent it my way, and I went, wow, like he's gonna soar up the boards. And that's exactly what we saw. I think he wound up like 40th by the time the year ended. But uh, you know, look, Jeremiah Smith is a can't, he's a can't miss kind of prospect. This is the guy who's three years now. It's the guy who's gonna go and you know, you think about Marvin Harrison Jr. and what he did in that game against Georgia, and he goes out with the targeting or the targeting penalty that was picked up, but the one that would have given him a first down gives him a concussion on that same play. All of a sudden, Ohio State's offense completely different when he goes out of the game. That's the kind of contribution that a guy like Jeremiah Smith can bring. And certainly if you're DJ Lagway, that's the kind of weapon that you want <laughs> when you come in, right? Ooh. And so and and, and, and you get look, him in the fold with Lagway, Will, with that running game, with those running backs we have coming back. Well, and it's interesting. Well, the 2024 I, offense is looking like something else. Well, if, it's interesting because I've seen a couple of articles recently about talking about how Billy Napier needs to win in 2023 and 2024. That's not necessarily true. Billy, like, win big. Billy Napier needs to provide hope to the fan base that things are moving in the right direction. And so Lagway is a big part of that hope, right? Rashada was a big part of that hope, which is one of the reasons why it was such a big deal. It's not necessarily that you lost Rashada. In fact, the money that, that has been reported on Rashada, I don't think he was worth it. But you lost a guy who maybe would have been a difference maker. So if you can bring in Lagway and Smith and you've got two hardcore difference makers coming in, that's essentially like Tebow and Harvin just one year later than Urban Meyer brought him into the program. you got a lot of good players surrounding him. That's always been my my criticism of Napier's recruiting thus far. Quite honestly, it was my criticism of Dan Mullen's recruiting is you got a lot of really good players. You don't have those elite, top-level, can't-miss guys who are coming in. Smith? Lagway and Graham are those types of guys. So to add three guys in one class, now you're starting to talk about a class that's ending up with the Ohio States of the world, with the Texases of the world, starting to rival the Georgia and the Alabamas of the world. Not quite there yet. Better than Clemson, right? So you're getting into another tier of recruiting if you can bring a guy like this in. Like you said, an Ohio State commit, been committed to Ohio State since December. Um, you know, but he's from Florida. Like, yeah. you know, it's not as though it's not as though he's committed to Miami and you're trying to pull him away from Miami and he's from Opelika and, you know, you're 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 pulling against the fact that he's going to be playing with all the people at home. He doesn't know anybody out in Ohio, I don't think. But you're so, not even you, pitching the home state angle for Florida. I mean, that could be one angle you're pitching. Yeah, we're in your home state, but also DJ Lagway. He's come play with D- That's why I think it's brilliant. They have him on campus with them because hey, if those two click. I mean, what else do you need? What else do you need if you're if you're Smith? That that could be very much a a a reason to flip right on the spot if he meets Lagway and the two those two hit it off. Well, and he knows there's money available through the NIL. Through NIL, so um, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think 
I think these are the types of guys Florida's going to have to start to win on. Maybe it's not Smith. Maybe it's somebody else in this sort of mold. Who There's a couple other wide receivers in the top 10 who Florida's at least in the running for. Mm-hmm. But, man, bringing in the second-best prospect in the country says something so significant because none of the – like, Will Muschamp didn't bring in a guy – well, Muschamp might have brought in guys that level, probably on the defensive side of the ball. But Jim McElwain never brought in a guy that good. And certainly Dan Mullen never brought in a guy that good. And so it's been a long time since Florida has had a prospect of this kind of quality. Now I think people will point to Andre DeBose. I think that's maybe a fair, <laughs> a fair thing to point to, but you know, you, that's sort of an outlier when it comes to guys in this general range, typically guys who are ranked this high turn into stars, especially at wide receiver. Cause I do think that it's much, much easier to see. Does a guy have separation speed on the outside? You put a stopwatch on him and go, wow, that guy ran a four, four, you know, you, you look at the way he turns a, a corner's hips and you go, nobody can cover him. You know, you, you look up at the end of the day and you're like, huh, that was kind of quiet. He had nine catches for 130 yards. Like it's much easier to see that with a, uh, with a wide receiver than at other places. So I would be surprised if he doesn't turn into a star. This is the type of thing where, 2023 season you talked about the conversation around whether or not he needs to win big this year you flip smith and you have lagway and smith on the way next year not that you get a total pass on 2023 but i think if you bring in that kind of excitement in heading into 2024 I think there's going to be a very forgiving nature to the Florida fan base in 2023. I think, I think there's going to be a for, forgiving nature for me. Like I think pe- people look at me and think I'm <laughs> negative all the time. And in some ways I am like, I tell you what I think. And what I think is, is that the first two recruiting classes haven't been good enough. And if in 2024, he delivers a recruiting class that is good enough, then all of a sudden that hope of winning a championship comes back. That fire comes back. And considering that you filled out the position that's the most exciting at wide receiver, if you if, if you end up bringing in Smith, and the position that's most important in DJ Lagway at quarterback, well, now all of a sudden you've got something to build around. And that makes such a huge difference. And so, yeah. you know, and, and the other thing is, is if you look at historical teams that win, the ones that don't win with elite, elite, elite recruiting win with high, high, high level quarterback play. And even then, even more so it's high octane offense, Mm -hmm. right? So Tennessee last year obviously has the South Carolina debacle there towards the end of the year, but was in the running for a playoff the entire time with a defense. Let's be, let's be honest, not that good. Right. (laughs) And, and, uh, yeah, and and almost made it to the playoff. And if Hooker stays healthy, um, ever heard of Oklahoma? Still... <laughs> yeah, I mean, look now, a conference that makes a difference, obviously. Uh-huh. But you know, if you want to have those fun years where you're eleven and two, and heck, we had one in twenty twenty, right? I mean, that team uh-huh. goes eight and four. Yeah, we were that. The team. LSU game does color that a little bit differently with with Marco Wilson. And I was just watching Kansas State before we started here, so I had I had forgotten the Keontae Johnson incident was the same day as the Marco Wilson shoe toss. I saw that earlier. I think Pat Dooley wrote about that earlier this week and so um all that stuff's kind of weird and eerie and that lsu game cast a pall over that entire season but it was kind of fun seeing kyle trash chuck the ball all over the place to kyle pitts and and Kadarius tony obviously the defense was frustrating but that was still a pretty fun year and so oh, yeah. you know look yeah. if that's what's in our future with jeremiah smith and dj lagway like i expect austin armstrong like i've been critical of austin armstrong i don't expect him to be a miracle worker but I expect him to improve the defense. And so, you know, if we have an improved defense and an offense that's that's performing at the level of Tennessee, hey, that's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of positivity around that sort of stuff. And this is the start of it, right, is is put, bringing in the building blocks to make that a reality. And, uh, you know, you put Smith with Andy Jean and Eugene Wilson and Aiden Oof. Mizell, 
Now, who are you going to guard? I mean, right? when's the last time we had a receiver core that looked like that? Well, I mean, are you going back into, I mean, I, we I mean, were, we're talking hard, Harden, Bubba, or Harvin, Bubba Caldwell, Riley Cooper, Lewis Murphy, like and those, uh, yeah, the Meyer years were good. I mean, you're going almost back into the Meyer years, and, and well, and we'll see. The freshman, year, man. we'll see. The freshman you're talking about haven't caught a ball yet, and I so, know, but, but I, I think they got a lot of potential. I, I, I think I, they I'm, do too. I'm high but, on but, this freshman receiver class. Oh, I very much am, but yeah. they're not can't miss prospects. Right. This no. is a can't miss prospect. But the thing is, when you add a can't miss prospect to three guys who are very, very high level prospects, you don't have to have all three of them work out. If two of them work out, if two of the three work out and you have a can't miss, all of a sudden you've got, you know, Ike Reed Hell and 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 uh, Jaquez out there running around. Right. And that's just the reality is that Florida has been a place where wide receivers have come and excelled. And it's been a long time since we had like Jabbar Gaffney and Rache Caldwell out there. Um, you know, again, Harvin and Murphy and and Bubba Caldwell, I think maybe is the the space where you think that where Florida had wide receivers who really scared defensive backs. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since so Antonio Callaway, maybe back there in the year where he torched Tennessee late in the yeah, game. Yeah, I'm talking. We've had good it. individual receivers, but a full core from top to bottom like that. As it's been, it's been a minute at Florida. Yeah, yeah. So this is. So anyway, big time, big time potential here with Jeremiah Smith. Looking forward to, uh, hey, DJ Lagway, get it done, man, get it done. We're already rooting for DJ Lagway. He hasn't even stepped on campus. I'll, hey, I'll we we it. said we said when he committed that it might be a big deal that he committed early because he'd be able to do this, uh-huh. right? So the fact that they now have him as the him as a recruiter, um, he's the guy who's going to be text messaging Smith when they get out of Florida, right? He's the guy mm-hmm. who's going to be on him and leading him. It's a lot harder to say no to your friends than it is to say no to some older guy who's saying, come here, I'll, you know, I'll make sure you get the best deal at the Dodge dealership. You know, it's like, so I, I think that there's, uh, I think there's something to the peer pressure. And so hopefully he's laying it on thick and, uh, yeah. you know, maybe we can give him recruiter, of the, the recruiter of the year award. If, uh, you know, it doesn't go to an assistant. If Jeremiah Smith goes to Florida, it'll go to DJ Lagway. Yeah. And we were, we were in the running for a lot of top guys last year, just missed out on a few of them there. You know, this time this to close. Type of flip, I cry every time I watch Harold Perkins play <laughs> this, this type of flip would really do some uh, major healing on that. So it would be great. It would be great to see that uh, in, in the picture, man, I'm already dreaming about that combination with him and Lagway. That'd be great. All right, let's move on here to a dollar. And Will, I got this topic from. I was listening to an episode of Busting with the Boys from Barstool Pod, Podcast, and uh, they were in Columbia last week interviewing Shane Beamer, uh, Spencer Rattler, and Juice Wells from South Carolina. And I was thinking about they were talking about how much they had coming back. And I'll tell you what, I was in the swamp. I that was the the game, the one game I went to last year. I saw Florida just rip that South Carolina team apart, and man. You talk about two divergent paths after that Saturday, man. Florida went down their path, and South Carolina really ramped it up. I know they ended up uh, losing that Gator Bowl to Notre Dame, correct? Like, but other than that, like the win against Tennessee, they did beat Kentucky down the stretch. They also beat uh, uh, Clemson as well. Uh, great finish, and it was the type of season that people had expected to end of the year there was the type of year that people in South Carolina were hoping that Rattler could have. He really finished strong down the stretch. Now, let's talk about SEC East sleepers here. I feel extremely not confident in this pick right now, but if we're talking about sleepers in the East, this South Carolina team has really got a lot of talent coming back. 
I just hate their September schedule, Will. They open with North Carolina in Charlotte. They play Furman at home. They go to Georgia. They face Mississippi State at home. And then they go to Tennessee on the road. So that's a brutal opener to the season. But I'll tell you what, you you pull up. I think that North Carolina game is a uh, coin flip anyway. You really should take care of Furman at home and Mississippi State at home. I would think you, you, you should take care of those games. South Carolina is known for dropping many stupid games, by the way. And if you can find a way to split that Georgia and Tennessee, those Georgia – I mean, let's be real. It's probably not happening with Georgia. But if you can find a way to get done in Neyland, you're 4-1 heading into a stretch that's uh, Florida at home, at Missouri, at A&M, Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and wrapping up the season with Clemson. It's not crazy to think that this South Carolina team could be something that – kind of like Tennessee last year, the team we didn't really see coming – I think South Carolina could maybe be a uh, make some noise this year, a little bit of a sleeper in the SEC East for me. Yeah, I struggle with this a little bit because they struggle with Vanderbilt the week before they got absolutely slaughtered by Florida, mm-hmm. and you start thinking about like order of order of games starts starting starts. You know, if Florida had lost, or let's say that the Vanderbilt and Florida State games had been earlier in the year, and Florida had finished like we had lost all hope, and then Florida finished with wins over AM and South Carolina in the way that they did, would we feel differently about the season than we do because you had that in the middle of the season? And then the defensive lapses against Vanderbilt, and then just the the fact that the defense couldn't stop anybody against Florida State. Like that colors the season. I think in some ways the way South Carolina finished the season colors that season as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they lose or they win 31 to 30 against Clemson. That was not a fantastic Clemson team. It was a good Clemson yeah, team. College football playoff team. hunt. Uh, hey, they no, were, whether you I, like they were ugly, but they yeah, were in the hunt. They weren't beating Georgia or Alabama. You, you look at Notre Dame, they Notre Dame again, sort of an average team, especially early in the year. Um, they lose to them one score game, though. I think the bigger thing is that when I look at South Carolina, I would have thought based on Spencer Rattler and how he played that the offense was the reason that they struggled and went eight and five rather than the defense, but their defense gave up 29 points per game last year, 88 in the country out of 131. So I think Rattler's going to be better. I think when you look at, usually you sort of look like I was looking to say, I wonder if that South Carolina or the Tennessee game was sort of indicative of he turned things around and not really. He sort of went back to the same quarterback he was before after that monster game against Tennessee. So this isn't like a Joe Burrow thing where the last four games of 2018, he was just lights out, and then he continued that into 2019. Now, look, I think Rattler's going to be better. I think he's going to come back and probably put up similar numbers to what he put at Oklahoma. So the offense is going to be better. I just don't know if the defense is actually going to be able to sustain that. My sleeper, Kentucky. Mm. They were 13th overall in the NCAA in points per game last year on defense. They were 112 on offense. So for all of the Will Levis is going to go in the top five of the NFL draft, I don't get it. Like, I understand why Anthony Richardson's going in the top five of the NFL draft. That guy has unbelievable freaking skills. And Florida's offense was like was like 20th in the country in terms of yards per play. Now, putting the putting points on the board, not quite as good, but they were still like 50th or 50th or 60th. 112th for mm. Kentucky. And it's not just because he missed a couple of games. They were bad even when he was in there. That game against Florida, Levis was just as bad as Richardson. That's the only reason Florida had a chance. It's the only reason Florida was in the game. They had that one throw where the guy, the deep throw where the guy had the great catch in the end zone. 
Ever since, that was a nice throw, though. But, yeah. I mean, outside now, of that, he didn't do a ton in that game. Now, granted, in the bowl game, they just decided they were going to throw pick sixes to Iowa, which was, like, the least entertaining game <laughs> I've ever watched in my entire life. But in Iowa so game? The, no. <laughs> so the Come question on. is, the question is, who's behind Will, or who's behind Levis? And that's always sort of a question at Kentucky is, who's the quarterback? Leary. Coming in from NC State? That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. So they've got a quarterback who's better than Will Lewis, and they've got a defense. And it's interesting because last year, if you looked at Kentucky, there were a lot of guys who were leaving, particularly on the offensive line. And one of the things that we said heading into the season, I remember saying was, you really shouldn't count out the fact that the offensive line has all this turnover. It's one of the things that worries me about Florida this year. Um, And then, you know, Lo and behold, you look at it and Kentucky's offensive line could not protect Levis. And so if that offensive line has improved and if the defense stays the way it is, and if Leary plays well, well, now you got a team that's going to be somebody, somebody who has a chance to maybe upset a Georgia or certainly upset a Florida or, or, you know, upset a Tennessee or something like that. Do they go 10 and three again? I think that's entirely possible. I don't think they're making the playoff, but if you ask me like, sleepers in the sec east kentucky's been probably the third most consistent team in that in that side over the last three or four years maybe even the second most consistent team over the last three or four years and Mm -hmm. it's because of their defense the defense has been good now for an extended period of time because of stoops and that's what he hangs his hat on you know they had lynn bowden like running around you know just running like the triple (laughs) option or something for like six or seven games a couple of years ago it's like the old ncaa football video game just put that fast wide receiver in if you don't have a quarterback it was (laughs) let it go you know, I, I, look, I think they're going to do better than 20.4 points per game next year. Yeah. And if they score 25 or 26, they're going to go 10 or three. I and believe so I they have the offensive coordinator back too, the one that left for the Rams. I'm totally blinking on his name right now. They do, uh, though, because they the, the he, Rams brought in LaFleur's brother, the right. Packers head coach. They brought in his brother um, to be the offensive coordinator. So, is, yeah. Is it Lee, Liam Cohen? Name? I think that I think that might be it, but uh, yeah. irrespective, they're bringing in a guy who was actually doing a good job on the offense, and they got rid of the quarterback that everybody looks at and goes, "Yeah, why is he a first round pick?" We'll see, we'll see. Man, yeah, man, it, it, interesting, uh, interesting pair. Richardson Levis going in the first round with the college. The college they got some few highlights on there. That'll be interesting. But, hey, so you got Kentucky. I got South Carolina as a sleeper. Of course, we said no Georgia, no Florida on that. With that being said, Tennessee, how do you feel about the Vols coming back this year? Uh, I think Hendon Hooker was a big part of their success last year. I think he covered up a lot of their holes, and I'm not a Joe Milton subscriber. He's one of those guys who was really inaccurate in high school and has struggled with his accuracy along the way. I think Josh Heupel will be able to scheme him some easy throws. We'll be able to scheme him some completion percentage that maybe he wouldn't deserve in other systems. Um, some really interesting stuff that Heupel does on offense that uh, that really helps his quarterback. So I don't think they're going to like drop off immensely. But I'd be really surprised if they're in the running for a playoff spot again. I think, you yeah. know, nine so not and, a 10 win team, but like eight, nine wins, you feel comfortable eight, eight, with that? Eight, nine wins, I think, yeah. makes sense. But again, it comes back to the injuries, right? The The defense mm-hmm. for Tennessee in the second half of the year last year was bad. And Hooker was able to was able to sort of stave things off until they got into the, the game against South Carolina, where it, like it's not like South Carolina was stopping Tennessee all that much. It's just there was no stopping South Carolina in that game. And, uh, you know, when that thing starts to snowball, that's the thing is that these these teams that sort of recruit in the 10 to 18 range in the SEC, they can put up an 11-win season from time to time. But when the rubber meets the road, even if they get a win against Alabama, later on the the shortcomings in your roster are going to show up. 
And what happens is, is Georgia and Alabama never or very rarely lose that game where they don't show up and or where everything goes their way that madden game where like you're sitting there and you're about ready to hit reset because because every everything's going wrong every time your guy gets hit you put the ball on the ground that sort of stuff those games happen from time to time think about like terrence cody when things were first starting in alabama um you know blocking the field goal against a bad tennessee team that year but that sort of preserves the national championship run there for alabama Mm -hmm. Um, those sorts of things happen to teams that have more talent because you end up in those situations less often and so you only have to hit you know you only have to hit uh you know, hit on the hit on the river like once a year rather than four times a year. And look, that game against Alabama that that Tennessee won, that could have gone either way. And if that goes Alabama's way, then Tennessee's season looks very, very different. Right. But they got the pictures of smoke and the stogies and congratulations to them. They got the win. But I think those things are going to start to even themselves out over time. And Heupel's done a nice job of that program, but I don't think he has it at a state where I'm going to say, yeah, 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 they're going to compete for the East every year. I don't think that's where they're at. They're, Plus, I think if they win nine years, they're good. Their offense will be good. Even if Milton struggles, you got Nico sitting there ready to take over in the wings. Well, and again, I guess it kind of depends on what you think about sleeper. I think Vanderbilt has an opportunity to probably be a lot better next year. I think they found something with with their quarterback situation. They had two quarterbacks. I can't remember their names. I think it was Wright. Um, right. Michael Wright was right. was the quarterback right. who was much, much better than than the original guy they had in there because he had did a lot with his legs. They sort of turned it over to him later in the year. And, uh, you know, he gave, he gave different, different teams fits. And so, um, that's going to be a big part of, of what Vanderbilt might do. So is Vanderbilt going to be like nine and four? No, but do they make a bowl game? Bowl do they team. make games hard for everybody? So it sort of depends on what you call a sleeper. I don't call Tennessee a sleeper. Cause I think they would consider eight and four a disappointment. I think they would consider nine and three a disappointment. I think they're looking to make a run to the playoff. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. And the only way I think you can call Tennessee a sleeper is if they make the playoff. Because no, I think sleeper implies low expectations. I think the expectations are back at Tennessee. Yeah, there's no expe- yeah. There's no low expectations there. Maybe there should be, yeah. but <laughs> maybe the expectations should be lower. Yeah. But uh, I don't think they're going to be. I think people expect a ten and two season at worst. And really, I think a lot of people are aiming for eleven and one, beat Alabama again, that sort of stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I don't Oof. see that happening, and so uh, I think they're probably going to be below what most people's expectations are, even if they're second or third in the East. The East is looking tough this year. East is looking tough this year for sure. All right, Will. Any final words before we head out? Nah, man. Just uh, enjoy spring practice, guys. Like this, this. I've been missing football, so we get to have some of it now. It's. You know, it sucks that there's the the bad news here to sort of interrupt the fact that we're seeing all these new guys and and young guys come in and contribute and hearing what they can do and what they do well and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, I wish we only had good news to report on tonight because that's what we want in spring. We don't want um, we don't want stories like the one with Mazuka. But uh, you know, look, wish him well. He was here for a couple of weeks, and we'll uh, you know, I'm not sure I'll be rooting for him because I never really considered him a Gator at this point, but. Uh, you know, hopefully everything works out and hopefully this opens up a spot for the young guys in the offensive line. I do have a quick announcement. Actually, uh, we are up on Spotify, Apple podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, if you prefer SoundCloud and uh, also rumble, we're just trying out rumble too. So if you're into rumble, we are over there too. So we're expanding our reach a little bit beyond YouTube. I know many of you have requested that and we're kind of, we do things kind of one step at a time around here. So it's really just me and Will behind the scenes too. So we're trying to also produce content, but we finally, we did get around to that. So we are up, check us out, give us a subscription, uh, subscribe on Apple podcasts, follow us on Spotify, rumble and SoundCloud. 
Yeah, put up a review. Tell them that the you know you can't stand the guy who's always negative all the time, and, <laughs> and the uh, you know, and, and and the host is 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 sexy. That's give Will Miles, give Will Miles five stars because that's all he accepts. <laughs> <laughs> well no i bitch about three, three stars and four stars yeah. so maybe you get a response if, if you, you want will to be happier give him five stars give him five stars that goes there for everybody go. everywhere five stars only all right well have a great weekend everybody go gators go gators hey everybody thanks for listening to stand up and holler if you're interested in more information from me and nick you can go over to readandreaction.com you can like and subscribe our youtube channel here at read and reaction or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information. And we do ask any things over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.